plastic objects, they have been suspended outside of the cycle of nature because of the way we synthesize this raw material. Your positive, positive, positive imprint. 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 Stories are everywhere. People and their positive action inspire positive achievements. Your PI could mean the world to you. Get ready for your positive imprint. Hello, this is Catherine, host of Your Positive Imprint, the variety show featuring people all over the world whose positive actions are inspiring positive achievements. Exceptional people rise to the challenge. Music by the talented Chris Noll. As always, a huge thank you to Chris for permission to use some of his music on this podcast, including Elevated Intentions, in which he composed for Your Positive Imprint. Check out Chris and his music at chrisnoll.com, C-H-R-I-S-N-O-L-E. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram, Your Positive Imprint. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Sign up for email updates from my website, yourpositiveimprint.com. And thanks for listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or, well, your favorite podcast platform. Thank you, Your Positive Imprint. What's your PI? Reclaimed creations. And I absolutely love this phrase, reclaimed creations. Well, Sayaka Gantz from Japan is an international artist who helps to reduce your waste, our waste. She grew up with Shinto, and she's going to explain that today here on the show. But as I was, as I was saying, she believes artists of today's era have a responsibility to bring more of the natural world back into my life, back into your life. I think that is just a fabulous philosophy. Well, today she reclaims creations and reduces waste from our landfills, from the oceans, from where it shouldn't be, and creates beautiful art. For me, when I first saw her whale, it was extraordinary. But then the whale, the dolphins, they talked to me. It just felt that way because I could almost feel the presence of the whale and the presence of the dolphins and the joy for life, but also a sadness. And that is what Sayaka hopes for in her artwork, is that relationship with her pieces. And so she's here today, and I met her at a museum exhibit, and it was pretty much right before the world shut down. And I am so glad to have her here today on the show to share her beliefs, her art, her culture, her positive imprints. Sayaka, welcome to Your Positive Imprint. Thank you so much, Catherine, for this beautiful introduction. I'm so happy to be here. I was born in Japan, and I grew up, uh, well, so I spent my kindergarten years, and then up to third grade, I was in Japan. And I grew up in the suburbs. There is a park near where I used to live with five minutes walking distance. That is a fairly large park. It's known for having fireflies, Japanese fireflies, oh, which beautiful. they're becoming more and more rare. They're pretty endangered, I think, unfortunately, because unlike the fireflies here that live in the fields with grass, the fireflies in Japan, they need really clean stream of water. And because the water is getting polluted, 
in so many places, they're becoming more and more rare. My parents moved a lot, but as a child, I really did not like to move. I didn't want to go to another country. I wanted to stay where I was comfortable with my friends. When I was in third grade, we moved to Brazil. It's wow. It's like the farthest place from Japan. Japan is such a small island、uh, community, and Tokyo is a huge city, but still, Japanese people, the population is still really predominantly Japanese. And especially back then, we didn't get exposed to someone from another country very much. We had a next door neighbor who I think was from the United States. And that was actually very rare. My parents would tell me a few words of English, and we would always try to say something to them. <laughs> and they'll come over to the fence and talk to us for a little bit, which I, mean, I never understood anything they were saying to us. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like the, the extent of my experience with a foreign country. And then we're thrown into this whole new place in Brazil. But in Sao Paulo, at the time, there was a full time Japanese school because there is a pretty big Japanese community in Brazil, and including the immigrant population from Japan. I had moved over to Brazil a long time ago. And also around that time, I think there had been cases where in Mexico or in another South, South American country, there were children of Japanese government officials being kidnapped. And so my parents were, and all the Japanese parents were very protective of us. So we, we were not allowed to go out by ourselves. My parents would drive me everywhere if I wanted to go and visit with a friend. If they live like just in another block, they would have to take me there. And so we, we lived very sheltered lives. I have two brothers. One is three years younger than me, so he was six when we moved to Brazil. And the other was born in Brazil. My parents decided that. They wanted me to learn English and learn different cultures. So, transfer to an American school, <laughs> like halfway into my experience in Sao Paulo. So, so I moved, I transferred. And yeah, that was a bit of a shock. I mean, now thinking back, <laughs> I learned English there. So, that's been very useful to me. But, but at the time, it was pretty hard. And especially for someone who didn't like change, didn't want to get thrown into a new environment. I think the move back to Japan was harder to me, harder <laughs> for me, because you know, at the time I was 13. So, <laughs> so you know, it was, and I was the weird kid who had been to Brazil. So, yeah, it, it was kind of hard for me. And because that, Memory of having a hard time in Japan was so fresh in my mind. So I was just not going back to Japan. I wasn't doing that. That's how I ended up in the States. Well, you're incredible that you have stayed focused on your talent in the art world. And look at where you are. You are an international artist. 
So yeah, I think art art was my escape in many ways. Especially when I was having a hard time with my classmates or making friends. But even when I did have friends, I had a hard time feeling completely accepted mm -hmm. into the group. And so I think that's part of the reason why I like to give homes to things that are discarded because it's really soothing to me. Sayaka taught at the university level for eight years, including Indiana's Purdue University in Fort Wayne. She taught drawing foundations classes and design fundamentals. Her students have come and gone, but Sayaka finds joy in having students in her life that she can mentor in their artwork. One of Sayaka's goals is to bring more of the natural world into your home, into our lives, into the presence of communities. You have been sharing your talent with the world, but also your... Shinto. And I think that that's extraordinary because it's not just about the art and it's not just about the waste. Well, first, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Shinto belief in Japan. And I was born in Japan. I spent my early childhood there. Shinto is an animist belief. It permeates Japanese culture in a way that not necessarily something we learn at school so much. It's just really part of our everyday life. Our parents would tell us if you throw something away in trash that aren't ready to be thrown out, that still have useful life left in them, then these things, these objects like pencils, erasers, or some tools that are still useful, they're crying in the trash at night. Or if we throw away food, food waste, then there is this ghost called motainai. Motainai is, is a Japanese phrase that means what a waste, basically. What a waste. It's so wasteful. It's a shame. And this ghost, motainai ghost, comes out in the middle of the night and tells you that you're a bad person, I guess. <laughs> and uh, it's like a very scary thought to children. And But it's also, I think, a worldview that uh, makes us learn that everything in this world has a spirit and everything can also potentially be your friend at the same time. If you treat something badly, then they feel sad. But at the same time, I think if you reverse that, if you're nice to the objects around you, then they're all your friends. It can be like practice in the more formal setting. And so in Japan, we have shrines that are Shinto shrines with a priest and the priestess traditionally. And, and we believe in many different gods that created Japan. How did Shinto allow you to bring forth, to bring out your talent in the area of art? Well, I think part of it is because I believe that all these objects have spirits and they have feelings. And it's very easy for me to just imagine these objects being alive. So when I see something that is thrown out, that lost their owners for some reason, I feel really sad for them. And I also grew up with my mother doing all kinds of craft hobbies. And I'm very used to using 
her scrap materials and making something of my own, kind of imitating what she does, but in my own way. So these things kind of combined and I, I've always loved puzzles. So I just love working with found objects, working with reclaimed materials. And what I do is I turn them around and look at them, how they connect, how they look when two items combine to make one shape. And I experimented basically to get to the plastic sculptures. But before I started making plastic sculptures that you saw at the museum, I, I, well, I was welding. Wow. And that's how I started making animal sculptures. I took a one day metal welding fabrication workshop when I was a junior in college. <laughs> and back then my major was printmaking, but I just fell in love with this process of welding because I was digging through a pile of scrap metal, which is like a scrap of a scrap because these are not from the junkyard, but from a pile of rejects that other students had collected from places and then their <laughs> projects didn't work out or they cut off a piece and the piece that they didn't want went into the pile. So, you know, this pile of scrap metal that nobody wanted and I could gather them and make animal forms and oh my gosh, it was so much fun. I just fell in love with doing that. I recently completed the Native American chief that lived and fought with the Americans in Fort, here in Fort Wayne back in like the 1820s or something like that, 1800s. And there's an organization, a nonprofit called Blue Jacket. They named themselves after Chief Blue Jacket because it was kind of like the underdog of the time. It was a very inspirational, very powerful, influential character, very charismatic and able to unite separate Native American tribes to fight with the Americans together. And, but he's very not well known because he was a, more of a quiet leader and so this organization they help people with some kind of disadvantage like a criminal record or a disability or an addiction record history to to get a job and so they do that by providing training and getting clothes for them to wear for the interview and showing them how to interview and how to be reliable employees. And they commissioned me to make this sculpture of Chief Blue Jacket. The challenge was that there's no surviving photograph of him. And there's also this myth that he was a white person that got adopted into this tribe at a young age. And it was debunked from, from DNA evidence of the descendants. But so a lot of what I find online, there's so much inaccurate information out there. And, and so I ended up contacting the Shawnee tribe because I, I really needed to know what's believable, what's true and what's not, and what images I can use. But I got the descendant. And so he gave me some 
images that that were more accurate to the knowledge of the tribe. And they were paintings, not photographs. They were very helpful. And then he also sent me some photographs of not Chief Blue Jacket, but I think his son or his grandson. I called the organization Blue Jacket and I was all excited. I was like, oh my gosh, I, I made contact with the descendants. And, and then they decided to invite the descendants to the ribbon cutting. They invited a whole big group and paid for their flights and hotel. And they all came. It was July 15th. It's standing in front of this organization, Blue Jacket, in Fort Wayne. It was a very moving ceremony. The mayor came and he proclaimed that from this year on, July 15th is going to be Chief Blue Jacket Day in Fort Wayne. What a tribute. And also how wonderful it was that you were culturally sensitive and that you took your time to make sure that you were getting it right. And that is commendable. There's so much in your reclaimed creations. And in fact, I love those two words, reclaimed creations. What drew you to the closeness with animals and the relationship that you have with them? I've always loved animals ever since I can remember. In my sculpture, I feel that it's really easy for us to relate to animals and in the way that it's not easy for us to relate to objects. And so it's like the animals are bridging the gap for us so that uh, we're able to see these objects as something that's more like us, that have feelings and that can be beautiful and it's a part of nature. For me, it's really more more instinctual, I guess. It's not really something I think about consciously that much. It's just how they want to come out. Where do you build these? Because that whale is not life-size, but it's huge. Baby whale size. <laughs> it's whale size. So. Baby, baby size. Baby whale size. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's beautiful. It's one of my favorite pieces, as well as oh, the dolphins. I absolutely love them, but they do talk to you. And I think some of that feeling when I get, and in fact, let me just back up about art. You mentioned something you said about art helping you to get through sometimes, just helping you to relate to whatever was going on in your life. Your artwork is trying to relay some sort of, not just a message, but a hope for whomever is looking at it can become emotionally involved at that moment of looking at the art piece. And for me, when I saw the whale, especially the whale, and then the spoons, you had a lot of the spoons inside. That was powerful for me, just knowing that that intelligent animal is swimming, living, not just swimming, because swimming is recreation for us, right? Is living in the ocean amongst all of that trash. And that for me was just a, as happy as that whale is being able to have freedom, I was sad. And I think that's good because you, you want to get people not just involved in the art, but you also want to have them leave with 
how am I going to make the world better as a community? Yeah, you know, I think the invitation is always there for the viewer to really think about the plastic waste and how these animals are made with plastic waste, basically. But I don't put the plastic spoon there exactly to make you look at it and think about something specific. It's, I think, it's all in you. And whatever you already know, the sculpture can make this contact with you and bring out whatever you are ready to address. When I make a horse, what I'm focused on is their movement. Because I think I used to take riding lessons as a child and the memory is still so fresh in my, my body. I still remember what it felt like to be on a galloping horse. And there is such a joy and feeling of the air moving around your body, moving through the hair. And it's all about the fascination of this movement. But these plastic objects, I think they each bring their own history into the work. And when you look at them, it's like a unique blend. And you know, some people interpret it as ironic. Some people tell me, well, maybe plastic waste shouldn't be presented in a way that's so beautiful. But to me, I feel like we created these plastic objects because we need them. And, and us trying to distance ourselves from that it's not really very healthy because it's like rejecting ourselves, our needs in some ways. But if we can learn to really value them even more, then we are going to try not to waste so much. And we are going to try not to overproduce what we don't need. People come to me telling me that, oh, this exhibit has really changed my view about plastics and their potential and and how we are harming the environment and i think whatever this person received from the show it's something that was already inside of them that they were able to uncover and i am relating to something you just said and that is that the plastic that you use it brings a history with it. Absolutely. When I think about some of the plastics that we find now, of course, plastic hasn't been around for centuries and centuries. It has broken down into microplastic, which we know that's all it's going to do is continue to break down into microplastic. Yeah. And, and then it gets in harm's way of wildlife and our water system and everything else. I think that Something you also said is that humans created the plastics and with that history that the plastic comes with also comes with the responsibility to not overproduce so we don't have extensive waste and to not continually use the plastic, but to find other means. You're removing plastic from the oceans, from, and not literally, but you're keeping it out of the oceans. You're keeping it out of landfills. You're keeping it out of water systems. Now, of course, it's 
it's not going to be sustainable as a whale forever because eventually that plastic is going to start to wear. But yes, for but maybe by that time, we will have figured out what we can do. Maybe somebody will invent something. And I think we all have a part to play in this. And so there was a time when I felt like really I need to do more and be more of an activist in this. But now I've come to feel that I'm, I'm serving the cause better by just doing what I love and making more sculptures that I make. And then someone else might invent something that will allow these plastics to go back into the cycle of nature. Because I think, you know, because of my Shinto belief, I really believe that these plastic objects, they have been suspended outside of the cycle of nature because of the way we synthesize this raw material, which, I mean, they came from nature. But right now, Earth is having an indigestion because we made it into something else. <laughs> so, you know, we just have to return it to, to the Earth in a way that's digestible. And I feel we should be able to figure that out. I love that. That that gives you such a good visual of the earth and and the whole indigestion. That's that's a great visual. And there is somebody out there that is going to invent it, whether it's during our lifetime or not. I hope it's going to be soon. Sayaka, do you have a favorite sculpture of yours that you have done that talks to you more than any of the others? Oh, that's an interesting question, you know. The whale really does talk to me. And when I've been asked the question about my favorites, yeah, I would say either the whale or the horses. The horses, I really love the horses also because I think because of my childhood memory, it just brings so much joy in my body just looking at them. And But at the same time, they don't talk to me the way the whale does. The whale has such a beautiful, to me, like a very feminine energy, the great mother. And I feel like I can come to her with questions and she can help me, help guide me. Sadness is erupting within the ecosystems around the world for animals. And we're causing it. Your art certainly, definitely has a place in the museum so that people can look to the future and say, what can I do? Why did you want to use reclaimed creations? That is so beautiful. This is a name I gave my my series about 10 years ago. A friend of mine was helping me with designing a logo and coming up with some kind of phrase to describe my work in just a few words. What do I do? What do I do? You know, trying to describe my animals? Is it something about animals? Is it something with plastic? But really, because I also weld and I still continue to do that. I make metal animals and recently I've been making human figures as well out of scrap metal. So I didn't want to limit myself with just plastics. And my interest really is in all kinds of reclaimed materials. It can be wood, it can be plastic, it can be metal. But I'm always drawn to things that other people have used and discarded 
so we have just seen like the thread that runs through all of my work. How um, do you get these items <laughs> around the world? Well, yeah, it can be a challenge because although my works being with mostly in plastic, they're not too heavy, but they are very bulky. And I've designed some of them to break down into sections to ship, but there's only so much I can do. And if I have break line, that's like a straight vertical line, it really interferes with the sense of movement I'm trying to create. So it just means like there's no real efficient way to transport them and protect them. So, I mean, and now with, with COVID, I think shipping industry has changed quite a bit and it's, it's a lot more expensive to ship things nowadays. It continues to be a challenge. There have been times when I, instead of shipping a big box, I've carried a big box with me on the airplane and to check a big box in is a lot cheaper sometimes than to ship it overseas. I can take at least one big sculpture with me. Yeah, you just got to be creative with shipping options. Wow. So where is your next tour? It's going to go to Fort Hayes, Kansas. It is moving around, and I do hope that it continues to move around in the United States, but I also hope it extends to the international borders much more often and that you carry that box on the airplane. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. I would love to visit Australia. What is your website? It is www.sayakagans. It's S-A-Y-A-K-A-G-A-N-Z. Thank you, Sayaka. So please visit her website and you can see some of her sculptures, see your artwork made of reclaimed materials. So we have learned so much about you, Sayaka, and I so much appreciate that you are doing this for nature, for the animals, for yourself, for your Shinto values, and for your community, your world community, your international community in keeping plastics and metals outside of landfills away from the oceans. Sayaka, this has been so much fun having you on the show. And I love your philosophy. You do have a message. And it is a happy message because there's hope you want people to feel empowered. What are your last inspiring words? I, I would like the people who see my work to get the message about how it's important to protect the environment and how maybe they want to have a better relationship with nature. But at the same time, I myself have experienced like this kind of paralyzing guilt about the amount of plastic I use in my life. And I think guilt is not a very useful kind of emotion. So my advice I can give to people, I think, is that you don't have to be perfect in practicing sustainable lifestyle. It's very important for the sustainability in your life to be sustainable to your life at the same time. I, I don't want my viewers to go home feeling 
so burdened with guilt. That's why it's important for my work to be beautiful and happy because I, I, want, I want people to feel happy. I want us all to be joyful and make inspired actions that are helpful to the environment. And I think we can all do it in a way that's really fun. Well, you definitely have made it fun and your work is inspiring to people and they can learn from you. Thank you so much, Sayaka Gantz. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Join me next week with another guest regarding art and the environment. Thank you for listening and supporting Your Positive Imprint. Please remember to follow, subscribe, or download this podcast, Your Positive Imprint. What's your P.I.?